0: In Victor Hugo's classic story, Les Miserables, Jean Valjean is a bitter man having spent 19 years in a chain gang for stealing a loaf of bread. But just after his release, he was taken in by a bishop who expressed compassion to him in giving him a meal and a bread. But then this happened. Have a look at this please. (laughs) In that story, that's a turning point in the man's life. This incredible act of mercy and grace changes his heart and completely redirects his life. This kindness, in so many ways, saves him. But if the gift of cutlery and candlesticks can transform a man's life in that way, then how much more should our lives be transformed? Because we have been bought at a far greater price. So we're going to look at this amazing passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, from verse 17 just down to verse 21, and we're going to see how we have been bought at a price. And how this should impact our lives. So let me read these verses to you. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen from before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. And so your faith, and hope are in God. Now, as we've seen before in Peter's letter here, he takes uh, Old Testament images, Old Testament ideas that initially applied to the people of Israel, and he applies them to these Gentile, mainly Gentile, non-Jewish Christians. And he was doing that so that they would grasp hold of this amazing truth, that they were now God's Chosen people. And this is what Peter does here. The picture here is a picture of the Passover. The nation of Israel had been living in Egypt for hundreds of years. They'd initially been welcomed as guests. But then that changed when a new Pharaoh came along who feared their size and their number. And so he turned these guests into slaves. They were ruthlessly oppressed, forced to work hard in the fields and building store cities for Pharaoh. And when that didn't weaken them enough, Pharaoh tried a more direct approach at population control. He ordered the Israelite midwives to kill every newborn baby boy in the nation of Israel. And when they failed to do that, He then just ordered every baby boy to be thrown into the river Nile to be killed. And in their suffering the nation of Israel cried out to God for help and God heard them. God said to Moses I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm And with mighty acts of judgment. I will redeem you. God had seen their suffering. He had heard their cries. He was concerned for them. And so he was coming to rescue them. Coming to redeem them. I'm sure many of you know that through Moses, God sent a series of ten plagues on the nation of Egypt. Water into blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. And each time Pharaoh either refused to let the people go or agreed to let them go only to change his mind when the plague left. Eventually God said he would send one more plague on the firstborn sons of Egypt. And after that Pharaoh would let his people go in order for the Israelites to escape that plague, they had to take part in the Passover meal. They had to take a lamb, a lamb that was without any defect or blemish, and they had to kill it. And they had to eat it together as a fellowship meal. Remember last week we were thinking about how you, the Bible talks about gird up your loins, and this is where we found it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your your staff in your hand. That's how they had to eat this meal. As if it was bags packed, ready to go, because they believed that God was going to set them free. But in order to escape that plague, they also had to do something with the blood of the Lamb. They had to take some of the blood, it says in Exodus chapter 12, Take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses. And if they did this, and if they stayed in the house that night, then they would be safe. God's promise was, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And so at midnight, the Lord struck down all of the firstborn sons of Egypt. And Pharaoh responded by letting the people of Israel go free. They were redeemed. They were set free from slavery. By God. Through the blood of the Lamb. But this wonderful redemption was only like a a preview. It was a preview of the ultimate redemption of the new chosen people. Because Peter writes to these uh, people, obviously, hundreds of years later, he says, you were redeemed. You were redeemed. This time, they weren't redeemed from slavery to Pharaoh, like the people of Israel in Egypt. But instead, verse 18, they were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers. These Christians had been born into a belief system and a way of life that was ultimately futile, ultimately empty, ultimately meaningless. It couldn't bring them the joy and the peace and the love and the freedom that they longed for. That's because it couldn't deal with their main problem. The problem of sin. Because Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Doesn't matter what that sin is. Doesn't matter how small it seems in our eyes. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So people may claim that they're doing what they want. People may claim that they're living life to the full. But the reality is, outside of Jesus, the Bible says, every one of us is a slave to sin. It controls our desires, our thinking, our actions, our words. And ultimately, if it's not dealt with, it will control our destiny. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. What sin pays is death. Spiritual death. Physical death. But ultimately, eternal death. Separation from God forever in hell. And the Bible's clear. That nothing that we could do Nothing that we've done in the past, nothing that we could ever put our efforts into, nothing that we would do would ever change that reality. No matter how much we try, we cannot overcome that slavery ourselves. (laughs) But in the synagogue in Nazareth, listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4. Jesus said this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. For He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus came to declare good news to those who couldn't save themselves. Jesus claimed to open up the eyes of those who had been blinded by selfishness, to release those who had been oppressed by evil, to bring people into relationship with God, to set free those who were enslaved by sin. And unlike us, Jesus has the power to do this. He declared this wonderful promise. John chapter 8. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If Jesus sets you free, you'll be free indeed. The freedom that he offers is free. It's complete. It's eternal. But how did Jesus do that? How can Jesus set us free? How did he redeem those who were held captive by sin? Well, Peter says in verse 18, it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold. Can't buy this. Silver and gold, they're seen as valuable because they're not perishable. They last. They don't easily decay. And so, for security, for happiness, for comfort, on life, people trust in silver and gold. They trust in their finances. They trust in their savings, in their investments, in their pensions, in their insurances. For however good these financial investments are, they don't last forever. They can only provide a, a measure of comfort, a measure of security, Because ultimately, you can't take it with you. No matter how much we earn, no matter how much we save, no matter how good our investments perform, we need to leave it all behind. And they don't change our standing before God. They don't make us a child of God. So we need something far more lasting and far more powerful to redeem us from sin. And that's what Jesus provided for when he provided us, when he went to the cross. We are redeemed, as Peter says, with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. Like that Passover lamb. Remember, in the the nation of Israel, that Passover lamb had to be without blemish or defect. And so Jesus, he was completely perfect. Peter could say later on that he committed no sin. The only person who has ever lived in this earth who committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. And so when Jesus died, he didn't die for his own sins because he had none. Instead he died to pay the ransom price to set us free from slavery to sin. He took our death sentence. So Jesus said this in Mark chapter 10. The son of man didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus paid the ransom price so that we could go free. That's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him in the river Jordan, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Peter says that this was always God's plan. Look at verse 20. Peter said about Jesus that he was chosen before the creation of the world. The cross of Jesus was not an accident. It wasn't a tragedy that we should mourn over. It wasn't even plan B after this world went haywire. God had to think, up, oh, what will I do now? God did not have to rethink his strategy when sin invaded the world. Jesus' mission of redeeming his people was always God's plan for the world. You know, when I think about this, it just blows my mind. Because what it says to me is that when God created this world, He knew what it would cost Him. He knew the cost. He'd already determined to send His Son to the cross for you and for me. And that means that our sin hasn't surprised God. Our sin hasn't shocked God. Our mess hasn't messed up God's plan for our lives. Because he made, before He made us, He knew what we would be like. And yet He still loved us. And He still sent His Son to the cross to die for us. Let's not miss this wonderful truth. Whoever we are, whatever we have or haven't done, the cross tells us that we are eternally loved by God. You are loved by God today. And the cross declares that. The cross declares, as God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness." God loves you today. He always has. And He always will. The cross was planned before the creation of the world. And as we saw earlier in Peter's letter, it was promised through the words of the prophets. And like in the Passover, it was pictured in God's dealing with the world over the the, the years. But we can praise God this morning that Peter could write that Christ was revealed in these last times for your sake. We're in this privileged time of history when Christ has been revealed. No longer just something promised to look forward to. No longer just seeing the preview of the reality. But we can see the whole picture. We can see the whole message of the Gospel. We know that the Son of God, He is the Son of God who loved me and who gave Himself for me. And even this morning we've been celebrating this truth, haven't we? We've been celebrating in the wonderful message of His love and His grace and the mercy of God as revealed in the cross of Jesus. Such an awesome privilege we have. But here's the crucial question. How are we going to respond? If we have come to realize that Jesus went to the cross to pay the price in his own blood. So that we could be set free from sin. And that we could be brought into the freedom of living in relationship with God. Then what should we do? Surely we can't just go home just the same way as we came. Surely this should impact us in some way. Well, verse 21 says that our first response should be faith. Through Him you believe in God. That's the foundational response to God's grace. That needs to be the first one. If we don't have this one, then whatever else we do doesn't count for anything. We need to repent. Repentance means we need to turn our back on our trusting in ourselves, in trusting in our own goodness, in trusting in our efforts or our reputation or even our religious activities. And instead turn to Jesus and trust completely in Him. Like in the Passover, we need to take that blood of the Lamb and apply it to the sides and tops of the door frames of our lives. We need to trust in His unconditional love, trust in His amazing grace, trust in His sacrificial death for us on the cross, and trust in His promise that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We will be saved. And folks, this is the only way to be right with God. Faith is the only way that we can come into God's family. This is what Jesus said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Whoever tries to be a good person and work their way to God will not see life. Whoever trusts in their family background or reputation will not see life. Only those who truly believe in Jesus, they will see life. And if we do this, we can stand confidently before God. Because Peter says, your faith and hope are in God. If you've trusted in Jesus today, you can stand and declare, I am saved. I am a child of God. I'm going to heaven. How can you say that? Is that not arrogance? Well, of course not. It's not arrogance because it doesn't depend on me. We can be sure of our salvation because, not because we're good people, Not because we feel that we're doing a good job. Not because we can see God working our lives every single day and we're just so amazed at all of that. Instead, we can be sure of our salvation because we trusted in Jesus. Our faith and hope is in God. And God has shown that Jesus' death on the cross was enough to pay for our sins. And He showed this when He raised them from the dead and glorified them. The resurrection and ascension of Jesus shows, proves that our, their sin debt was paid in full. And it was paid for once and for all. There's no other priest required to pay for our sins. No other sacrifice to make. The book of Hebrews says this, When this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Because by one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever. Those who are being made perfect, made holy. So today, have you trusted in this sacrifice? Have you trusted in this once for all sacrifice for your sins? Is your faith and your hope in Christ and in Christ alone? Do you know that you've been forgiven? Are you sure that you've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus? If you aren't, if you aren't sure, then that is a gift that God wants to give you today. That is what is an offer today. That's what you can accept through simple faith. And if we have accepted this gift, if we are among those people who have trusted in Jesus and we know that we're going to heaven and we know that we're part of God's family, then what then? How should we live as a believer in Jesus? Well, Peter, this is what he writes in verse 17. In the light of our redemption through the precious blood of Jesus, we should live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. This is about our commitment to live as saints and strangers in this world. It is about being set apart from the world and set apart to God. It is about rejoicing in and, and what Jesus has done for us and rejecting the way of this world, being different from this world. Going against the flow of the culture and our tradition and instead following Jesus with everything that we have and everything that we are. Peter wrote that we should do this because God judges each man's work impartially. One day, God's going to judge all our lives with clarity, with fairness, with impartiality. Peter wrote later on, he is the one who judges justly. And later on in this passage, he's going to say that to encourage those who are oppressed, those who are downtrodden, those who have been forgotten in this world. He's going to say, be encouraged because God will judge. God is not blinded by favoritism. God is not impressed with reputation or status. He's not tricked by pretense or hypocrisy. One day God will judge the guilty. Do you know what that means? That means it's a warning. It's a warning to those who might be tempted self-righteousness. Warning to those who are tempted to arrogance or to pride. Saying, well, I'm not that bad. I'm okay. I'm better than this person or that person. Surely God will accept me because I'm a, I'm a decent person. If we're among those who are trying to hide our guilt today, then one day we're going to stand before God who judges justly. But Peter doesn't want us to be terrified of God. He doesn't want us to be afraid of being punished by Him. He doesn't want us to try and keep our distance from God. Because yes, God is our judge. But He's also our Father. We call on our Father. This is the impact of the cross of Jesus. If we have put our faith in Him, The blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Totally pure in God's sight. If we trust in Jesus, then we are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are declared righteous in God's sight for all eternity. And we have been adopted into His family as His child. And so we've been set free, free to live for God and to live with God. And so when Peter told us to live as our lives as strangers here in reverent fear, he's not saying, go and be really afraid. That's not what Peter's wanting. And said this is about having such deep respect and reverence. For the God who loved us and sent His Son to die for us on the cross. That was at the very depths of our being. We want to live for God every single day of our lives. It's about being so amazed, so overwhelmed by being set free through the precious blood of Jesus. That we are committed to doing everything we can to honour and glorify Him. It's about responding to the cross every single day of our lives by living that life of passion for God. A life that is full of unending gratitude, of indestructible joy, of total commitment, of wholehearted worship, of willing service, of eager obedience. And passionate love. Not in order to try and become somebody. Not in order to try and please God. But because through Jesus, we've already become someone. We've already become a child of God. And we've already stood before God, completely accepted and perfect in His sight. This is the wonder of the cross. This is how we should live our lives. So folks, I pray that each one of us each one of us will know that we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. And that truth, that reality will impact our hearts so that we will live in wonder and the freedom of our redemption every single day of our lives. We have been redeemed, we have been bought at such a great price. Not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus.